Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is episode number 153. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we have Kevin Rakestraw. How the hell are you, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. I got myself some new slippers. Uh-oh. Every- everything's looking up. A little slip slips. Everything is looking up. Everything is coming up roses. <laughs> Great. Uh, this week on the show we have two reviews lined up with Amir and Sam, which landed in theaters and on video on demand this weekend, and the Slam Dance 2015 Audience Award winner, Across the Sea. It also got an honorable mention by the jury. We're also going to be talking about some of what we've been watching, and of course, we'll also be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Remember, you can send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net, or leave us a comment on the site. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, before we get into our first review, first of all, uh, have you noticed there's once again a pattern in our in our uh, reviews this week? They're both movies about uh, Middle Eastern women in relationships with white American men. Oh, I didn't even notice that. We always got threads. There's always there's always a thread. I like it. We don't plan it. No, which makes it even no. better. It's it's kind of bizarre actually how it works i know it's, uh, start, it's starting to scare me a little bit briefly i wanted to mention the award winners for this year's sundance film festival and slam dance also uh the award winners for both of those festivals have been announced uh-uh. and it looks like a- across the sea that's why we're reviewing that this week that that won as i mentioned the audience award and the uh it got an honorable mention by the jury for slam dance okay on the Sundance side, Me, Earl, and the Dead Girl won the uh, U.S. Dramatic Jury Prize. Okay. And I think it also won the Audience Award for U.S. Dramatic Feature. Wow. So, very interested in seeing that. I, I heard that it is uh, a tearjerker, that it's going to just leave you completely wrecked emotionally by uh-huh. the end. It's directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon. Isn't that, him? isn't that the guy that did the Downs Dread Sundown? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. All right. That's, uh, that has me curious now. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see this movie. I think it looks, uh, looks very interesting. It kind of, it sounds like, like a quote unquote Sundance movie. It does. If you know what I mean. Yes. No, I know exactly what uh-huh. you mean. And yes, I can definitely, I don't know, see that, but uh-huh. That's okay. I like a lot of stuff that ends up at Sundance. So I think that that's okay. Uh, on the doc side, on the documentary side, I, b- I believe that Sweet-, Sweet Mickey for President won the Audience Award for Documentary. And I think that it may have also won the Jury Award for Documentary as well. Yes, it did. And on the documentary side on Sundance... Wolfpack won the was that the audience? No, that was the was jury. jury prize. Yeah, jury prize, and then Maru won the audience award for Doc. So and the Russian Woodpecker won the what the world documentary. Yeah, and I think I I think Which... I mis misspoke that title. It's me and Earl and the Dying Girl. I don't remember. I think I might have said Dead Girl or something. <laughs> The arrow and the dead girl. Yeah. That's a spoiler. You spoiled it now. Well, anything it's, with Nick... It's got starring Nick Offerman, so... 
So you're you're just going on the strength of that. Yeah. It's got Nick Offerman. I'm in. Yeah. It's what you're saying. Are you not in because of that? I'm like, uh, I'm not in. I'm I'm at the point where, like, maybe if I get around to it. I'm in. Oh, all right. I'm totally in. You're totally in. I got you. Yeah. I'm I'm not there yet. Sorry. I'm totally in. Uh, On the slam dance side, narrative feature. The jury prize went to Tired Moonlight, directed by Brittany West. And the uh, there was an honorable mention for They Look Like People, which is a, a horror movie that I'm very interested in checking out. I That sounds interesting. Yeah. Just the title alone, and then you said that it's a horror movie. Yeah, it, it look like if you people. look at the, the poster for it, it's got an interesting poster, too. Uh, on the documentary side... For Slam Dance, let me see if there was there was an honorable mention given to Twenty Years of Madness, which is a uh, I want to see that too. It's a documentary about a cable access show that was that was in Detroit. It was a bunch of kids that did this cable access show called Thirty Minutes of Madness, and it kind of catches up with them. The cast of that show twenty years later. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it sounds interesting. That's that's pretty much it. Uh, both festivals seemed very good. We've seen a smattering of of movies from each festival this year. Yeah. And I've liked what I've seen so far. I still have a bunch of slam dance stuff to get through. So we'll be talking about that uh, in the coming weeks, I'm sure. Let's go ahead and move on to our first review. Do you want to keep with the festival vibe and, and tackle Across the Sea first? Let's do Across the Sea. Okay, this is uh, directed by uh, Nissan Dog and Esra Saidam. And the synopsis says, Damla reluctantly returns to her Turkish summer town with her American husband. Her bitter past is soon to be revealed. Oh, boy. Uh, Oh, boy. Now, Kevin, you, you wrote a review for Amir and Sam, so... You started off with Across the Sea. What are your initial thoughts? Oh, my initial thoughts, and it seems like I say this a lot. Yep. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, God. This is entirely too long. Right off the bat, it's 105 minutes. And essentially what you have here is 20 minutes worth of story. And I'm being generous there. I'm allowing you like 10 minutes for silent brooding and gazing and whatnot there's a lot of one-on-ones too in this which which this movie seems like most most of it is just gazing just looking out at the ocean or looking down yeah a lot of contemplation (laughs) going on uh but honestly the story there's it's not a whole lot going on (laughs) it's not a whole lot going on it's honestly like 10 minutes this should just be a short film there was no reason to stretch this out so long yeah I think uh, the the strongest thing this had going for it is that I thought it looked quite good. It's definitely, yeah, it's a polished movie. A lot of handheld shots in this, which I liked. Uh, A lot, I mean, the the location, this this small beach community in Turkey, was a beautiful, beautiful location. It's gorgeous. And I liked a lot of the camera work. I think that that was the strongest thing about this. There were a lot of, uh, you know, uh, shots into the sun with sun flares. Oh, and it's, it is so sun-kissed. 
Yeah. This whole film is sun-kissed. Oh boy. It looked it looked good though. I thought that it It looked it, good. It worked. But, yeah, but as good as it looks, I don't need to no, see whole, it for an for an so, hour and 40 minutes. The character of Kevin, who is the American boy uh, husband, oh Kevin, uh, played by J- Jacob uh, Fischel, oh. I hated that character. He was terrible. Actually, I hated the <laughs> I hated the girl too. That that was one of the big problems I had with this movie is that the the characters were so unlikable to me. I thought that Kevin was just a kind of a douche, and he said fuck a whole lot. Uh, and it seemed like lot. he it seemed like he said fuck at really inappropriate times <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> he's just throwing them out left and right. There's like little kids running around. He's just dropping f bombs left and right. I mean, maybe it's because they don't speak English, and he thought that they wouldn't care or know. Yeah, but he. I don't, was it just me or is, did before they went to Turkey? It didn't seem like that was his no. end personality at all no. and then everything like his character just completely changes when once he's in turkey and it just it didn't really make any sense yeah he's and he, like this but, completely different person and he's the one that wanted to go to turkey too she didn't want to go no and he was all about it he's like well we'll see where he grew up <laughs> <laughs> which actually is exactly how he talked and also i thought it was because one of the big things he buys he buys a house while they're there. He just buys it. Doesn't, they're like no they're discussion. there for like three days, and he buys a house. And it'd be one thing if this was your your fiance or your girlfriend, and you wanted to surprise her by by buying her childhood summer home or whatever that was, and you know make it a big thing. But they're married, so wouldn't you think that by this yeah. point their finances are interwoven and that would be a decision that you need to discuss with your wife well, let's let's back it up and talk about that for a little bit their, their communication oh yeah it's fucking terrible terrible they don't talk about anything well and that it, was yeah it makes sense to like okay you're going to surprise someone with buying the home but damla doesn't want she didn't even want to go she wants nothing to do with turkey nothing to do with this summer home she Nothing doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want to buy it. And he's just like, I'm going to surprise her and buy it, even though she's told me numerous times. Yeah, and she seemed completely, before they even went to Turkey, she seemed completely depressed about mm-hmm. life. Yeah, she, she, she did not she, want to go. Because like, let's back it up even more. She's pregnant, and the whole beginning of the movie, they, they show her smoking and drinking and partying it up. So clearly she's got some issues. And he he has to know that she's doing this, and he doesn't seem to be confronting her about it. Because there was that scene where she went to the party and got drunk, and he was, like, putting her in the bed. Yeah, uh, you know. I don't understand it, because there's nothing wrong with smoking while you're pregnant. Oh, no. My mom did it. I'm fine. <laughs> Completely fine. But, yeah. Uh, but also, another thing, Kevin's character, I didn't like. But also, the performance... Just, no, uh, no. it stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Oh boy, that was rough to watch. Because yeah. It, majority of this film is in Turkish. Mm-hmm. All the Turkish characters talking to each other, having long discussions, and then he'll pop up and say some stuff in English, and it's just like, oh my god, it just You're throws horrible. you. <laughs> it just throws you <laughs> off, man. It takes you out of it. Yeah, and just like, tr- oh. Truthfully, 
the Turkish actors may have not been very good either, but it's a lot harder to well, that's the beauty distinguish. Of that's the beauty of foreign films. Yeah. I, I don't speak Turkish, so I have no idea. Unless it's like really, every, really, really <laughs> yeah. bad. Unless it's absolutely terrible. I, everyone's kind of like on the same plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With line delivery, delivery at least. So I guess, okay, so stepping back a little bit, just going over the plot. So basically, there's a it's a love triangle story. That's really that's what, what it is. That's they what go, we got going on. It's your classic love triangle story. <sighs> they go to Turkey and she ends up re re uh rekindling her friendship or whatever you want to call it with her neighbor who i guess was her former lover mm. slash best friend slash brother slash everything slash slash everything slash just perfect man <laughs> he's well and i mean he's amazing at octopus extraction <laughs> well okay <laughs> I, <laughs> that that is the the big scene that, that sticks out in my mind in this movie. So there's a scene where a little girl gets uh, an octopus stuck on her leg, and he tells her this story, and she's looking at him while he's doing this, and Kevin is just like a fucking idiot. He's like, I don't know if it's poisonous or what. <laughs> it's like it's an octopus, dude. Come on. How do you, yeah, how do you not know? <laughs> this is a fucking octopus. <laughs> I don't know if it's poisonous. I don't want to touch it. And yeah, and he and he gets and so he's upset, just a complete... like at the drop of a dime. Like if anyone says anything, he just fucking loses it. Yeah, and he's just he, he's, completely he's, incompetent when it comes to pulling pulling a tiny octopus off a girl's leg. So he worthless. goes and gets the guy. He's worthless. Come on. And the guy's like telling her this this wonderful story, and he he's being very gentle, and he pulls the octopus off. And in the next scene, they show him bashing it onto a rock repeatedly. For, and it's like I don't this, know what reason. And it's like this extended scene they showed for like thirty seconds, where he's just slaughtering this octopus. <laughs> and not only is he beating it against a rock, but, but then he like puts it on top of the rock and just like rubs it. Yeah. Into the rock, <laughs> yeah. which just seems a bit, and then, a and bit then, much. Yeah, and then he sticks it in the water and washes off what I would assume would be like the ink or blood or whatever, and then does it again, and he continues to do it. Which, it, and then following that sequence, you have Damla talking to her cousin about him and what an so, animal he is. Yeah, and he's saying that you know her her niece shouldn't like him because she doesn't know the real him and this and that, and you're like what is the real him like what what happened because that's that's the only scene that indicates that that there is some other side to this guy but then it's a side that's never brought up exactly ever again exactly it's she completely forgets about that she is enraged with him one second and then the next second she's just like swooning over him again and then of course evan gets all pissed off because you know Johnny Octopus took the octopus off and was such a great guy. He goes to town and gets drunk with another woman. Yeah. Like a complete douche. Yeah. I mean, he just really pissed me off. He's like the worst. And then, of course, and then, of course, she, Domla, sees him. Yeah. And then she's like, then she gets mad. So she goes out with Barack. Ugh. And not only, well, I would be upset too. Not only is he out. With another woman just getting drunk. He didn't tell her either. No, he didn't tell her. And then when she pops up on him, he's he's playing an acoustic guitar. Like that right there should tell you, you gotta get a divorce. 
Yeah, this guy's he's just all sorts of terror. Yeah, and he's singing too. He's he's singing he's serenading terrible, her. Terrible song. <laughs> oh, oh god. Um, oh, and then there's the, of course, the the. Uh, you gotta have the sports scene in there. You gotta you, you gotta have the obligatory sports scene where the the two men are squaring off against each other to see whose dick's the biggest. <laughs> uh, yep, that's in there. And of course, it gets out of hand. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Once again, yeah. Kevin's character sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. It's just. There's there's more to it. There's there's some things. There's not more to it. Well, no. there's a, there's a little bit more that I don't want to necessarily yeah, there's... say. There's there's one one event that that took place in the past that they kind of dredge up, but a secret. Yeah, but again, right. it it makes up for like ten minutes. Ten minutes. Yeah. Everything it's... else is just filler, yeah, and it doesn't it's... add anything. You you know you're you're not developing characters. You're not adding tension. You're not adding depth. You're yeah, not really it, doing anything. You're just waiting. You're essentially just killing time until they can reveal what it is. Yeah, exactly. It felt very generic to me. It felt very it, typical. It's and, very it's very generic, and it's just extremely mediocre, to be honest. Yeah, and granted, I'm, this these aren't my kind of movies. I. I am not going to be reviewing this one for the site. We we are going to have a review, <laughs> uh, but uh, I recused myself from from writing a review for this one just because it's not you know, it's not really my type of thing. I you know it's one of those that just it's in the middle so much. It's extremely mediocre. It's not a bad film by any means, but it's just it's extremely forgettable. I'm not gonna remember anything from this. Yeah, same here. It's it is pretty pretty forgettable. Except that it's, Jacob Fischel is kind of like the American Cumberbatch, as he might be the whitest person I've ever seen. Yeah, he's Kevin. He's <laughs> all gangly and he's such a Kevin. <laughs> he's such a he's such an American Kevin. He is. Goddamn Kevin's. <laughs> All right, what are you thinking on uh, Across the Sea? Across the Sea? I'm going to rate it an off-white. Okay. It's just so An eggshell? An eggshell white, so like a five. Just right there in the middle. Straight down the middle. Manila folder. I'll say, yeah, I'll say five also, actually. I was going to give it a five and a half, give it a half-point bump just because it did look good, but... Eh, it just wasn't enough. Wasn't enough for me to really, because nothing, nothing sticks out about this movie. It's just one of no. those movies where, after you're done watching it, you're just like, oh, okay, well, I just watched that. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that all right. Just cross, cross it off your to-do list. That happened. Just needs something. Just needs something in there. Yeah, the, it's pretty the thing packaging, is, but it's the thing is, the the two. Really, the two scenes that we mentioned—the octopus and the the uh, the fight, the sports fight scene—those are really the two big scenes in the movie. Yeah, everything else is just people sitting around telling stories, anecdotes, and eating, telling stories about foxes and dogs and dogs and foxes and <laughs> bugs and fire. 
Uh, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's across the sea. I'm not sure when that'll be out. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if that has a distributor or not, but um, yeah. I would imagine it'll be out at some point this year. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next review. We're talking about Amir and Sam. This is directed by Sean Mullen, also written by Sean Mullen. Uh, I have a synopsis here. An army veteran's unlikely romance with an Iraqi immigrant is put to the test when she's faced with the prospect of deportation. <laughs> the stars Martin Starr and uh, and uh, Dina Shahabi. Now, Kevin, you wrote a review for this on the yeah, site. Yeah, so you have to go first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it. All right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. Uh, it, it was... I was interested in this one, and I think you were as well, just because it was a Draft House Films release, and they always have a knack for putting out really interesting things. They have a very eclectic lineup, and... When I learned that they were putting this out, which was uh, what I thought to be a romantic comedy, I was in. I was interested in seeing what a draft house film's romantic comedy would be. Yeah, and which... I would say it's more of a. Uh, I think there's more dramatic elements than comedic elements. I didn't. Yeah. I I wouldn't consider this to be a rom com. It's not full on com. It's like half com. Yeah. Half drama centering around the guy returning from war. Uh, so, th- which kind of makes it. It's a romantic really, dramedy. I don't know if they really mix that well. Mm. And, I, you, and I have to ask because, like you said, our interest levels were peaked because of draft, draft house films. So, let's say Draft House didn't put this out. Would do I you see think, it? Do you think you still would have been as interested? No. No, me either. No, no, I wouldn't. And this is this which was is... Re- released in collaboration with Forever Fest, which was a a new, relatively new film festival that is off. It's like a female centric film festival that they're that they are putting on in Austin. I think they're two years in, and it's affiliated with Draft House. Uh, the Alamo Draft House because the creator of of Forever Fest is uh, a publicist for Draft House films and the yeah. Alamo Draft House. Yeah. So there is there are some ties with that festival with this movie. So I think maybe that was an influence in putting this out there. I thought that this it didn't necessarily fit into the. Well, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to say that because Draft House films. The thing that I like about them is that they don't have. Uh, they're not like your your typical distributor where they have a specific type of movie. Yeah. yeah. So n- my initial thoughts were, oh, this doesn't really feel like a Draft House film. But you know, I don't know what necessarily it, does feel like a Draft exactly. House film. Is there really a? A set of guidelines that you can look at films and be like, yeah, right. this is this is a draft house pick, which is the nice thing about them. Which being... again brings it back to, like I said, if this wasn't put out by draft house films, and you got to think about it too, they're relatively new, right? Yeah, and they have, they have like... that much sway already. That yeah, we're like, oh, I am completely interested in this movie based on the 
solely on the fact that they are putting it out. Yeah. Uh, I also would say I, I'm also a little bit concerned that just because it's a draft house film's release, I tell I told myself that I liked it more <laughs> than I know, than I would have normally. So I think that that's a, a that's another interesting question to pose is not only uh, are you interested in this because it's a draft house film's release, but did you like it a little bit more because it was a draft house film's release? And uh, I'd say I, prob- probably a little bit. I can't wait until a draft house films just overtakes your life. Because it seems like it's working that way. They have a lot of power over you, Adam. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can, I mean, they're, they're doing exactly what I want. They're, everything that they do, I'm totally on board with. All right. And, well, and this... one of the things that they did is Amir and Sam. So what do you think <laughs> of that bad boy? Uh, it was fine. It was a. It felt very typical to me. I felt like I've seen movies like this before. Yeah, it's kind of. I weird. thought that one thing that it did have going for it is that I thought that Martin Starr and Dina Shahabi were quite good in it. I liked the dialogue a lot. I thought that Martin Starr was pretty funny and. I liked his uh, his character, just his um, just his dry cadence and just his personality. I thought that uh, Dina Sh- Shahabi's character was kind of uh, and like her very much. Uh, <laughs> well, she was kind of uh, abrasive. She was she's just not very nice. She was not a nice person. Ooh, I mean, she true. came around and towards she, the end, but her character did sort of go through the. Like the fast forward of development. Yeah. It's just like she was extremely abrasive and extremely cold in the beginning. And then she warms up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. they love each other so much. Just so, so much. Like in a short amount of time. It's like, yeah. my goodness, it kind of sped through that. I also had a hard time swallowing the. A lot of this stuff with Martin Starr and his new job with his cousin, who was uh, a trader. Hedge funds. Yeah, and yeah, Martin Starr gets into the Wall Street. And just how they acted, I, I felt I, f- I could not get behind that that yeah. half of the film because it's kind of broken into two halves. You have Starr and Dina doing their whole rom com thing, <clears throat> and then the other half of the film is Starr like dipping his feet into wall street working with his cousin hedge funds and he's kind of used as like a puppet yeah and it's i really enjoyed the star or martin star and dina portions yeah and anytime that that would sort of like build up momentum mm-hmm. and i'd be getting into it oh we'd cut over to the wall street thing and everything would just come to a screeching halt and it's like oh my god now i gotta truck through this stuff and then it would get back to the relationship and it's like all right here we go this is mm-hmm. the good part and again, once that built up and then back into Wall Street. And there's yeah. just so many portions in the Wall Street section that just they felt very staged and forced and it just didn't work for me. A lot of the the Wall Street guys that are in this felt like caricatures. They didn't feel like real people to me. And the, some of the things that they said and some of the things that they asked him to do, while maybe... I could believe some of these Wall Street guys trying to do something similar to that. It still didn't seem very believable to me. Like, I just had a hard time swallowing that. And eventually, 
the two the two parts of this movie do come together and you have this kind of one big culminating scene and that didn't really work for me either because everybody was so disrespectful and over the top ridiculous the things that they said were just so ridiculous that i just don't see i I can't see that happening in reality i have a hard time buying it yeah a little bit i can see maybe i just have more more faith in humanity that that wouldn't be how that plays out and maybe it's just the company that i keep but i just I can see it. The, the 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 idiot guy coming up and being like, "She looks just like Aladdin's girlfriend." What's yeah. it, What's Aladdin's girlfriend's name? Yeah. <laughs> and then his uncle who who rips him apart because of bringing her there and. Well, that's the other thing. He's just out of nowhere. He's introduced, and then he like, goes this, right. He goes guy? right into this like racist tirade, and yeah. you're like, "Man, this." That's why, to me, it just it didn't work because everything just felt so staged and forced. And yep. It didn't feel it didn't feel work. None of these scenes popped up organically. Yeah. Nothing really felt genuine. Now it's the, a sh- the it, relationship portion of it felt organic. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. It's a shame because the chemistry between uh, Amir and Sam was quite good, and, and I, think, I, I I liked that. And I think because that that portion of it was so strong. That it highlighted how bad the Wall Street stuff was. Yeah, because it's you know it's so strong. They have great chemistry. Everything feels genuine, and then you get into the Wall Street stuff, and it's just like it's just it's almost it's almost like it, it multiplied because of the flip side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I agree with that. Overall, though, I was entertained by it. I thought it was fine. But yeah, it's, uh, nothing. Same here. It's nothing. Not, it's, it's not gonna last. It's not gonna yeah. last with me. To be honest, I'm not gonna remember it. It's, yeah, it's it's kind of like an eggshell, eggshell white. It's just we're just all about eggshell white Manila folders this week. Yeah, I did like her hawking her pirated DVDs. Yeah, that was I don't funny. know why, but just her ridiculous English and her trying to sell yes, man. I'm just, I like the, I'm just fucking with your asshole. Uh, he says, yeah, he says yes to everything. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh God. 27 dresses. She's been and a bridesmaid 27 times. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and the only other portion that I thought that really had me laughing was Martin Starr going to the, the cat obsessed uh, clerk at the Veterans Affair. Yeah. Just cats everywhere. So she goes, she's like, you, you're not on disability? Which is, yeah, which is the only... I'm not disabled. Which is the other interesting thing is that he's a guy that's returning from multiple tours and there's nothing wrong with him. He's just, just a good guy. Which does make the other portion kind of weird where you know he's kind of forced to wear his uniform and stuff it seems like his character wouldn't do that i well he seemed reluctant at first i don't think he would but, do it at all it yeah, just but, didn't yeah. seem like him but i don't know he needed a job and it was his cousin that was asking him to do this and they seemed fairly close and his cousin just gave him a hundred grand or promised him a hundred grand so and a boat 
I would, yeah, and gave him a boat. Just gave him a boat. I would, I would put on my uniform for that. I'd be like, all right, yeah, whatever. I think he saw through it. I think that he knew well, I that think, yeah. his cousin was using him to sell, you know, crap to his clients that who are veterans. I know, but you would think that he would kind of, if he realized that, that you know, he's going to a place that probably veterans there. That's probably why he asked me to wear this. And the veterans are going to be asking, why the hell are you wearing your uniform if you're not in the army? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. No. I don't know. I did. I did like the 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 fact that he did serve multiple tours, but he was fine. You know, he didn't have. We weren't dealing with someone with PTSD or uh, some sort of physical disability because we we've covered that so many times before in movies, and I'm not saying that that's not an important thing to explore, but it's also it's- kind of funny to see the reaction of people. The flip side of it. Yeah, for somebody that comes back and they're just fine. Because that's how a lot of people come back. <laughs> no, they're okay. And, you know, they touch on a little bit towards the end where, he, you know, he does his second round of stand-up. He tries mm-hmm. to do stand-up in his free time. And he talks about, you know, people are kind of surprised that there's nothing wrong with him. But he realizes that, you know, America's there's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> Something happened while he was going to America. Which I wish they would have touched on that a little bit more. They just kind of threw that in at the end and then moved on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's several issues that they graze in this movie but never fully get into, no. which I was okay with. I didn't, you know, uh, I, I thought that they handled it quite well. And you knew it was going to happen inevitably The just with her getting deported and then how... Other people view her and stuff like that. I knew that there was going to be that coming up. And I thought that they handled it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Because like we, we've seen it before in movies. And I feel like it, they don't need to hammer you over the head with it. No. But again, I will say that I thought that <clears throat> when there were things that came up with people treating her differently or... or discriminating towards her i thought that it was cartoonish and ridiculous mm-hmm. i would agree with you all right uh mm-hmm. i will do you, do you have any final thoughts on amir and sam no nah. nope i'd say it's a pretty light recommend if you're if you're looking for a, a, a nice uh light romance then i'd say check it out yeah the very light very light recommend and really, I, only if you're into romantic comedies. Yeah, because that yeah, portion definitely. of it does work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'll go ahead and give it a. Eh, <laughs> I'll give it a six. I'll give it a six out of ten. I'll give it a six as well. I gave it a six point five, but that was <laughs> like that was the initial like right after seeing it, and now like a you know a few more days removed from it kind of realizing just how forgettable it is. Yeah, it's just a shame that they didn't focus more on the relationship of Amir and Sam mm-hmm. and developing that's, that. Because really, they're... It was kind of, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a whirlwind romance, but they spend so little time on it, like way less time than you would expect. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if someone, you know, went in and cut out everything that wasn't Amir and Sam 
and their relationship and see how long this movie would be compared to the other section of it with, you know, him and Wall Street. I'd like to see what the balance is there. Is it 50-50? Because it kind of felt like 40-60. Yeah, because I I think that it's okay, and I think that they should have explored him trying to find a job after getting back and discharged from the army. I think that that's something that they should look into. But I think it's it's also just something with him being a first-time director, like this being his first feature, you can kind of see that he... He just didn't have the ability to blend the two together. Yeah. Seamlessly. You could, I mean, you knew when you're jumping. That's what I'm saying. It kind of felt like two movies and then they just cut it up and then could have kind of mixed it together. There was no, like, there was no pace between the two. They didn't complement each other, nothing like that. It's a bit rough. A bit rough. Really, really all that happened was his, the, the two worlds collided towards the end and that was pretty much it alright there you have it Amir and Sam is on video on demand right now I believe it's also playing in select cities two hearty discussions yeah yeah. it's just uh, I don't know it's a tough one Uh, let's go on let's move on talk about something we've been watching I saw one that I I wish we could have done a feature review on this week because it was fantastic and that's girlhood okay all right uh so this this just came out in in suck cities this week this weekend filmed over 12 years right (laughs) filmed over 12 years follows uh, a girl from first grade to graduating high school no it is it's directed by celine skiama it's the the same director that did tomboy oh okay and it is a coming of age story about a girl growing up in a like a low income housing i guess projects it's in france i think that you would it's like low income high rises in okay. france uh and it's just about her kind of uh wanting to elevate herself beyond her environment and find her place in life and she ends up meeting up with these three other girls and develop. They're kind of like the bad girls. Oh, you know, they man. shoplift and they drink. And But she she falls in with them and they develop this really strong relationship. And then she, she has a very abusive brother, an older brother, who is very abusive. And she ends up having to leave. And it's just kind of looking at... Her life and her trying to her her struggles and trying to make it in the world and find her place and it was just it was fantastic the the visuals the cinematography looked uh, ridiculously amazing there uh, you can find they actually released this clip online but there's a scene that happens where they the four girls lip sync to the there's a Rihanna song Diamonds in the Sky. And it's just—it's such a fantastic scene when you when you see it, and uh, the this is all first-time actors too. The main the main girl in this uh, I, don't, I don't have her name here. Karija Tora, yeah. So she's first-time actress, fantastic. She does such an amazing job in this. 
her her performance, the character that she plays, is kind of a very quiet, reserved person. But when she needs to be, she she steps up to the plate. Like there's there are a few scenes where she gets in fights and she she has to protect her little sister. She has two sisters, two younger sisters that she's kind of raising herself because their mom works nights uh, as a as a cleaning woman in uh, I can't remember if it's like an office building or a hospital. Can't remember, but uh, just a fantastic movie. Highly recommend it. I think that it's a shame that it's called Girlhood and that I feel that Boyhood probably <laughs> overshadows it. Stupid assholes are going to be making terrible jokes. About yeah, it. and in my review, which you can read, I immediately drew that comparison because you know it's coming out so close they they, they're coming out so close together and it's a very different movie but it's still kind of a slice of life coming of age story yeah but i just wish it wasn't called girlhood because i think that boyhood really did take some of the wind out of its sails and i could see that it's a shame because in a lot of ways this is better than boyhood it certainly looks better the 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 score now i think in boyhood it was it was like uh i don't know if it had a score i think they just used a soundtrack yeah it was just a soundtrack and in this the the uh the score is really good it's got this kind of synth synthy score sort of a cliff martinez style and and the guy who did the score i don't have his name in front of me jean jean uh baptiste some somebody he uh <laughs> he did one of the songs in Spring Breakers with Skrillex. So it kind of has it's not drum and uh or not uh, dubstep, but it has a kind of a synthy sound to it. Uh, I just love that it is Sean Baptiste somebody. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but either way, check out Girlhood. It is it's so good. It's probably it's my second favorite movie of the year so far. All right. Might have to check that one out when it comes. I think you'll like it. I think I know you're not big on coming of age stories, but I think that there's enough <clears throat> uh, enough here that you'll you'll be able to latch on to it. Yeah. And I yeah. think that you'll like it for the cinematography because it looks amazing. I'm interested. I am interested. Uh, I watched a documentary, which unfortunately you, this has no distribution, so I feel like kind of a dick. We're talking about it because you can't see it. Um, it's called The Creator of the Jungle, and this documentary is ridiculous and unbelievable and just so immensely impressive that it's really hard to convey in words. So, what it involves is a middle aged man in Spain <clears throat> that likes to play in the forest, which is just a couple of steps away from a street, from a road, traffic, all that stuff. And this guy likes to build things, built houses and towers and bridges and labyrinths and mazes out of just whatever he finds in the forest. So he just picks up sticks and branches and wood and whatever and just builds stuff. And when I say he builds, you know, houses and bridges and whatnot, I'm not talking like little rinky-dink tree houses or little huts. He builds massive, massive mm. buildings for no reason. It's just what he does to kill time. This is how he busies himself, as he says. <clears throat> so not only does he do that, 
but he also creates streams. So he manipulates the earth around his structures and will create streams and ponds and waterfalls. And again, I'm not talking like little rinky-dink little streams that you can dip your feet into. I'm talking like full-on waterfalls and rivers and pools that you can swim in. It is ridiculous. And he just does this for whatever reason. So during his first foray into building all these structures, a teenager comes and starts playing with him and stuff and uses the family camera to kind of make short films with the guy. So they start making these Tarzan movies, which makes up the bulk of this documentary. It's just these old amateur films that they made together where he's running around the forest and everything. Mm-hmm. And they make like little narratives out of it. And what happens in real life, you know, the people starting like vandals showing up and the government getting involved with his structures and everything sort of starts to play into their Tarzan films where he feels like he's being driven out of society and civilized man is ruining everything. <clears throat> so this guy just vandals come and start destroying stuff. So he tears it all down and they capture all of it on film. He's just tearing it down and burning it. And he has just as much fun destroying it as he does putting it together. <laughs> so a couple years later, he builds it all again, but this time even bigger. And this time around, he builds a cave into the side of this like huge rock formation. And again, it's not just like, oh, it's a little cave. You can walk in and sit down. It winds through the entire rock, and he just does it by hand. Just a little chisel and just goes at it. I mean, it's just unbelievable to see this stuff. And then he tears it down again, and then he rebuilds it again. It's That's just, crazy. It blows your mind to actually see these things on camera. <clears throat> And I mean, the guy's like running around catching fish with his bare hands, catching rabbits with his bare hands, and just like living off the land. It's ridiculous. You saw a festival screener of this one? Yes. So keep an eye out for this. Or just try and Google it. Just Google the creator of the jungle and just look at some of the pictures that he's built. Hmm. It's just, it's unbelievable. Might have to, might have to seek this one out. I saw a movie called, I saw a documentary called Red Army, and this is a, it's a sports doc, and I'm, I'm a big fan of sports docs, which is odd because I'm not that into sports, but I, I always like sports documentaries for some reason, and this is a, it takes a look at the Russian hockey team, and this is post-miracle Russian hockey team, so, you know, when, at, at the Olympics, when we beat Russia, this is what happened after that occurred. It starts before then, but most of the, the film focuses on the uh, what, what they do because of us beating them in the Olympics. So Russia gets pretty pissed that they lost because they were an amazing team. Mm-hmm. And nobody, nobody thought that we would beat them and we did and when that happened they cut most of the players from the team they kept a number of players they brought on a bunch of new people and uh the the team that they created uh turned out to be the best hockey team ever in the history of hockey they won they were completely undefeated for more than two years (laughs) they just they couldn't lose it was they won two gold medals at the Olympics, uh, you know, two two Winter Olympics in a row. They were just unstoppable. Every every 
game that they would play, they would just destroy. I mean, and it's not like close. It's not like we're talking one zero here. It's like it's like twenty to four. <laughs> just one, and, just destroying teams. Yeah, no they were just. City. I mean, do you know? Do you, do you know anything about this story? No, they call them the I Soviet don't. Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Basically, what they did was they created a a compound, a training compound, and the players lived for eleven months in this compound and trained three or four times a day. They just trained nonstop, and <clears throat> well, because yeah, because of that, uh, they turned into this amazing, unstoppable force in hockey. And when you see <laughs> them play, it's astounding you're just like how can anybody even it was just like they knew they just they could see five steps ahead and they just they knew where the puck was going to be they knew where it needed to go they knew where all the players were going to be and it they were a perfect team and it's it was so fascinating just to see them play in in footage of this movie it was interesting that the director his name's gabe polsky he made some really interesting choices with this it was it was a talking head documentary it felt a lot like a 30 for 30 where it had kind of cool uh animations and stuff it looked very stylish and uh one one cool little thing that they would do is when they would show newspaper clippings and stuff uh they would show the original russian and then they would do this kind of animation where the russian letters would morph into uh the like alphanumeric letters Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just kind of a cool little thing. But what the director did was he left in a lot of what I think a lot of uh, documentary directors would consider flubs. Like, for instance, the one of the main people that he follows in this documentary is, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, but Vyacheslav Fedosov. And he's kind of the star player. This guy was just, he's one of the best player, hockey players in the world in, ever. And there'd be times where the dude would get like a phone call or need to send a text message during the interview. And, they'd le- and they would leave it in. And there were times when <clears throat> Gabe Polsky would be asking a question and he would leave himself in asking the question. And there was one interview he did with a former Spetsnaz guy, and the the guy brought his granddaughter with him to the interview, and the granddaughter would he would be answering a question, and the granddaughter would just like come in and like grab at him or ask or ask him just interrupt him, and they they would leave all that stuff in, and I thought mm-hmm. that it was really that was a really interesting choice to do that, and it. <sighs> it added so much to understanding the personality of these, of these people. And I thought that that was, uh, it's just really interesting. I liked, I liked it. I thought that it worked, <laughs> but overall, very, very good, very well-made documentary, uh, thoroughly entertaining, highly. I, I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a hockey fan. I'm not a huge hockey fan anymore. I was going to say, yeah, that's pretty, you know it's good when you you're not really even into hockey. Yeah, I and you're I used enjoying to, yourself. I used to follow hockey a little bit, but not not recently. I still like hockey, but uh, I I just don't follow it. And interestingly, uh, when the when uh, Gorbachev uh, 
enacted that perestroika. Um, I don't know if it was a law or basically it was saying that they were going to uh, be more lenient on the, the people of Russia. And when they, when the, the iron curtain fell, they were allowed to trade players to the NHL. They were yeah. allowed to send players to the United States. So you, you saw this big flood in the eighties of Russian players moving over to uh, the NHL and they played like crap because the style over here was so different and there was so, there was like no finesse to it at all. It, the NHL is, is more brutal. You know, it was, it was more about brute force yeah. than finesse. And the Russian players were like, they couldn't deal with it. They didn't know how to, how to do it. They weren't getting along with their teammates either. Like we still, cause this is right at the end of the cold war. So we still hated everything to do with uh, Russia. So a lot of the players were not treated very well. And also uh, Russia demanded that they share their salaries with the country. So, Yes. Most players would take a 50-50 split and they would give half their paycheck to <laughs> to Russia. Uh that was, sucks. Yeah, that that, that kind of sucks. sucks. Uh, but anyway, they Detroit, the Red Wings ended up recruiting I think five five Russian players and they basically recreated <laughs> the Soviet 5. And went on to win the Stanley Cup because they, because <laughs> because what happened was they were like, well, well, shit. They knew how good Russia was, and they were like, well, we want to recreate that. So they <laughs> brought on all Russians. So to tr- so the Red Wings was basically an all Russian team, and they were again unstoppable. And they interviewed the coach of the Red Wings, and he was like, he's like, I didn't know what they were doing, but I just I told him just keep doing your thing. Yeah, he's like I didn't. Yeah, you don't even have to do anything. Like, yeah, they've been practicing for how many years? And he <laughs> said, yeah, he said that once they all got together, they just immediately, they just immediately went on the ice and did their thing. He didn't even have to do anything. <laughs> but uh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think you would like it if you're a fan of Thirty for Thirty documentaries. Uh, definitely check this one out. It it feels like at some point this could be uh picked up by espn and yeah I put out as one that. of those i could definitely see that yeah <clears throat> red army is the name it's playing in select cities right now Ooh. all right i have one one last one here and that's the mac from michael campus from 1973 black exploitation uh, uh, yeah i was gonna say you're you're really cranking out these black exploitations I think I've, you've probably seen more than more of them than I have at this point. I've, well, I've seen two so far, so <laughs> no. But you saw you saw uh, no. Sweet Sweet back yeah. last year. That's true. There's there was a couple you saw last year too. That's true. Now this one I've been wanting to see for a while, and I never saw this one either. So all because of, there's a Killer Mike song where there's a very famous scene from the Mac, and they use it, you know, as the opening, and then they use it with the. The Max character, one of the lines that he delivers, they sort of work it into the to the chorus. <clears throat> so, and I was always struck by that opening scene to that song because <clears throat> he sounds amazing in the movie. So, <clears throat> I found you know the scene online because I'm trying to find out you know what movie is this from, and then you see it. It's a confrontation between Goldie and this other pimp, and man, it's just it's incredible the way that it plays out. So, 
it shot straight to the top of the list. It's also got Richard Pryor in there. He plays Goldie's sidekick. Mm-hmm. And Goldie starts out right off the bat there in a shootout. Him and Slim, who's played by Richard Pryor. Slim gets away. Goldie gets in a car accident. Goes to jail. Goes straight to him in jail time. And it's suffocating. They got the camera like just close up on him. And it's everything starts out sort of it's shot like experiment it's very experimental the way that they shoot all this in the beginning which really just threw me for a loop because that's not what i was expecting going into this movie it doesn't feel like a black exploitation at all in the opening moments so he gets out of jail and of course he just wants to get back into it he wants to get to the top he wants to help out his mom his brother's working against him because his brother's like trying to clean up the streets and it just goes through that entire story. You know, of course, he gets to the top and then he has to start looking out for corrupt cops and racist people and all this stuff. And it just it's rough. But at the same time, it's fantastic because Max Julian, who plays Goldie, is just his performance is unbelievable in this movie. He's just fantastic. So he he smooths out a lot of the rough edges for me anyways. And I ended up just completely into this one. Ten out of ten. Because he does a lot of reprehensible things, much like when I was talking about Black Caesar. It's kind of the same storyline, a little bit different. And, you know, he's not a good man. He does some terrible things. He tries to do some nice things as well. But, you know, it's tough being a pimp. And I thought it worked really well the way that they opened the movie because you have that in your head throughout the rest of the film. That when, you know, when he was in jail, he's completely broken. He's almost lost his sanity while he was in there. And just the way people treated him and everything. So you keep that in the back of your mind while you're watching the rest of it. And it's just, it's very compelling. It's it's not what I was expecting for exploitation, Which is weird because even on the Netflix sleeve, it was like, this is a fun tale. And as I'm watching, I'm like, this is not fun. Like why, the, <laughs> why, why would you consider this fun? Like yeah, at one time they have a players' picnic where they play baseball in their pimp suits, but outside <laughs> of that, it is not fun at all. So this came out in '73. Is this before Richard Pryor really took off? Is this like one one of his like earlier things that he did? Um, I just I'm, I'm not I, familiar enough with the the career trajectory of Richard Pryor. I think it was probably like beginning stages. I think it was, it was like right when he was getting going it because this came out. <clears throat> yeah, pretty it much. Looks like he, it looks like he had at least one stand up special before this. So he must've been pretty big in the world of stand up. I think, yeah, I think this is when he was just getting started. Cause couple of years later is when he started getting, you know, Silver Streak, then The mm-hmm. Miz, Stir Crazy. So, yeah, this is early, early Pryor. Hmm, cool. And, it's, and funny to see, it's, it's funny to see Pryor, and I mean, he is kind of like the, he's the sidekick, so he is funny in spots, but he also kind of plays a badass hmm. that's ready to kill people, which is interesting to see. All right, so you saw this via Netflix, the disc the disc Netflix this this sucker needs to be someone needs to restore this bad boy give it a proper are you sure nobody has done that yet i not to my knowledge i was looking for one if there is let me know i'll look into it 
The Mac <clears throat> available via Netflix. Uh, I don't I don't really have any other ones that that I'll I'll mention. Uh, there's there's one that I'll just throw out there. It's called Ballet 422. It's a documentary. It comes out in a couple weeks. It's uh, it's uh, a documentary that takes a look behind the scenes at the New York Ballet. Sure. Now, normally I'm not I'm not really into I'm not into ballet movies so much. Now I have actually seen a couple <laughs> ballet documentaries. Uh, this one's it's pretty interesting. It's only 72 minutes long, but man, it feels ooh, it feels like a f- 2 hour long movie. It's it's quite <laughs> Yeah, but the interesting thing is that it that it doesn't just focus on the the performances, the dancing. It also looks at the costume design. It looks at the the lighting. It looks at the uh, the orchestra and how they prepare and arrange the music. And it follows around uh, this twenty five year old guy who is. Uh, they commissioned him to be the choreographer for a new a new uh, piece at the mm. at the ballet. So it's pretty interesting. Certainly, if you have an interest in ballet, absolutely seek this one out. It uh, I can't remember the exact day. It comes out sometime. I think maybe two weeks, not this weekend, but next. I think it it uh, comes out. So uh, check check that one out if you have an interest in the ballet because it's. Yeah, pretty entertaining. Hmm. I like the behind the scenes stuff to see how they prepare because they only have two months to to get everything. Get everything together. in order. Yeah, That's crazy. so it's it's kind of crazy. It's like a hectic scramble, but it's it's also crazy because they're all so good at what they do that it just it all comes so naturally to them. Hmm. Yeah, so. it's always. It's always impressive to see that in action. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some predictions. Now, uh, I lost, for some reason, my notes didn't save from last week's predictions. So mm. I have no idea, and, and I was way, way too lazy to actually go back and listen to Bush last League. week's show. To Bush League. I like re- it. Rewrite them down. Do is listen. Well, and you have like the raw stuff right there that you could just click and be like, go straight to the source. Well, here's the thing. I got back very late <laughs> last night and I didn't watch either of the movies that we <laughs> reviewed. So I got back at like 1130 and I watched one of the movies and I put on the other one and I was getting my notes together and I realized that I didn't have the scores and it was just too late. I was too tired. So whatever. Let me just read off the actual scores. You know, it doesn't even matter because we don't keep track of (laughs) the scores anyway. Uh, Project Almanac, 36%. Not very good. We do have a review for that up on the site. Uh, I believe Blake gave it a, I want to say a four. I think he gave it a four. Black and white, or black or white. I don't know why I always want to say black and white. Uh, That got 35%. We gave that a we gave that a two out of ten on the site. That seems high. Thirty five percent seems high. Mm, yeah, Come it does seem a little bit high. The loft, zero. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love it when I see the zeros. Uh, we also reviewed that on the site. We gave it a three out of ten. That was another one by Blake. Uh, Black or white was reviewed by Jacob. Jacob, our new, our new guy. 
Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake. Can we call him that? We can call oh, him that. Sure, sure. Why not? We're going we're gonna to call him that. A Most Violent Year came out on Friday, which I didn't realize. That's up to 90%. <laughs> All right. Just some other scores here. Amira and Sam got a 72. Girlhood got an 86. Timbuktu got a 97. Mm. Suburban Gothic got a 50. Hard to Be a God got a, a 100%. Where's our review for that, Kevin? Um, <laughs> if you go on to Letterboxd, there, I have a review there. Does that work? Uh, Is that what you're asking for? I guess. Check I didn't, out Kevin's I didn't review get to on Letterboxd. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't get to it, man. Uh, by the way, I wanted to mention that I, I completely forgot. I wanted to do this at the top of the show. We have Letterboxd integration on our site now. So anytime you check out a review, you will see a Letterboxd widget. Widgets. Up in the uh, on the right side there by the movie. So then you can add whatever movie it is to your watch list or rate it yourself or see what other people are thinking. And I want to thank the... Uh, fine folks at letterboxd for hooking us up with that and they even pulled out our fonts and colors and matched it up so which is quite cool kudos to matt and the letterboxd gang uh next week we have project uh wait a minute i almost said project almanac jupiter ascending finally coming out that was supposed to be out over the summer but they said it needed more time to work on the the visual effects uh, to me, that's code for this movie's not good, and <laughs> the distributor wanted to dump it in the February slot. Mm. So I'm going to say 42 on Jupiter Ascending. What are you thinking? 30. 30? All right. Uh, seventh Sun. This is that one with Jeff Bridges. It looks really, really bad. I don't. Have you seen trailers for that? Mm. It's like the fantasy one. No. Oh, boy. What are you thinking on this one? I'm going to say 42. I'm going to say 14. Oh, wait. No, never mind. I just <laughs> saw what this is. Uh, I'm going to say 8. 8? Okay. Change that to an 8. <laughs> From 42 to an 8. All right. I, well, the first one was just a blind. I had no idea what this movie was. Then I clicked on it. Ah, uh, okay. And you see the poster and you're like, no. Huh. 42 is yeah. too high. Uh, we also have SpongeBob Sponge Out of Water. Oh God! Something tells me that this one's gonna be not horrible. So I will say I'll say f- uh, fifty on that. I'll say sixty-two. In limited release next week we have Ballet 422, 1971, which is uh, another documentary that I definitely recommend checking out. I don't. I, that was a festival watch. Last year, I don't even remember what <laughs> what festival, but uh, it's it was quite good. <laughs> Past the light, I don't know what that is. Enter the dangerous mind, love Rosie and the voices. Okay, I'm interested in the voices. That's the one with Ryan Reynolds. Okay, where he can he, like hear dogs and animals talking. <clears throat> Wasn't that supposed to be a Steve Carell movie? Uh, I don't know. I remember it, hearing about that a long time. It was at Sundance last year, The Voices. <clears throat> oh, it's directed by Regine Satrapi, the um, Persepolis. Mm. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know she had a new film. It looks very odd, and I'm intrigued. That just flew under the radar. 
It's got Ryan Reynolds, Anna Kendrick, Jackie Weaver. Uh huh. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Yeah, that's he weird. Can, he can hear animals talk, and they tell him to kill people. Oh my goodness! And it's uh, I believe it's a, co- a dark comedy. Wow. Uh, next week on Video On Demand, we have the voices Love Rosie, Enter the Dangerous Mind, and Love Sick. So we'll probably be reviewing the voices next week. I don't know what else we'll be covering. We'll have to figure that out. On Blu-ray and DVD, we have The Best of Me, Dear White People, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, Dracula Untold. What, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby? No, Dracula Untold. Oh, Dracula Untold. <laughs> no, no, it was the Eleanor Rigby one. I've been hearing about that movie for... Well, I think it was on VOD or something for a while. Was it? I didn't. I had no idea. I've been wanting to see that forever, and like every, I just keep seeing it pop up, pop up, pop up, in like Letterboxd. People are watching. I'm like, what? Where? Where are you seeing this? I, I thought it was on VOD for a while. I guess I could have just asked them. Could've probably just like typed out. Where Pro- are you hey, seeing? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Forgot that you're allowed to interact with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, exists, which is a uh, found footage. Bigfoot movie, I think. Yes. Really, we don't have plenty of those. John Wick, highly recommend that one. I that one that che- I want to check, see. Check it out. I want to see that one. I think you'll like it. I think maybe you'll find it a little bit ridiculous. But I'm. But the, I kind of. That's what I want, though. That's what it is. I just. I don't know. You might have a hard time looking past some of the silliness of it. Okay. We'll see, though. Hector and the Search for Happiness. Uh, it was the Simon Pegg one that kind of came and went. Yep. Which I feel like to be a lot of Simon Pegg movies. Have. Yeah, I feel like unless he's working with Edgar Wright, it just it doesn't just, it just doesn't work out for him. No. Oh, I'd say Paul was a modest success. That also had Nick Frost in it. Yeah. So it seems like if he he's got to have either Wright or Frost with him. For it it to seems work. that way. Uh, Ouija startup. Obviously, recommend Startup and Video Games the Movie, which you'd think I'd recommend, but I don't because it was terrible. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, criterions, what do you got? We have one Criterion, which is, again, right up your alley. 1980 from Godard, Every Man for Himself. This is sort of Godard coming back to just like quote-unquote normal cinema like a standard narrative type deal. It was standard as you can get sort of, you know, he kind of took a break from his avant-garde video experimental stuff. I have not seen it though. So I have no idea how it is, but it's Godard. So it's more than likely interesting Hmm. in one of two ways, either interesting in a really good way or interesting in this is a boatload of horse shit type of way. (laughs) Goodbye to language. 3d is playing playing here but i haven't you need to take advantage of that because that's the thing that really bothers me about a movie like that is i'm not going to ever be able to see it in the way that it was intended yes yeah it bothers me well uh what's it called it's playing here too hard to be a god bastards i don't know i don't know if i could handle that on the big screen it would be difficult that would be difficult three hours of that like, I got through it once, and I think that's enough. I'd like to see it's that mo- on, like, IMAX. In the IMAX. Ugh. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, I, I kind of would like to see it just because it is such a visual movie. And 
it would be nice to see it on the big screen because it's one of those movies where there's so much going on at all times that I think if you watched it on a giant screen that you'd see all these little things happening all over, you know, in the background, in the periphery that you probably wouldn't pick oh, yeah. up on if you saw it on just a, a standard TV. Plus, it would help so much with the immersion because that movie is so much like so much about immersion, the production design and everything of it. But I mean, watching it the way we did, it was still extremely impressive. And that was on, you know, my small computer screen. I can't imagine how impressive it would be. Yeah. In a theater. Yeah. It's yeah. watching a D box. D oh boy. <laughs> or four D where they have all the different smells that they can spray. Can you <laughs> it would imagine just be that? It would just be spritzing out dead carcasses. Carcasses and vomit and piss and shit, shit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a oh my god. That movie. Mm. Alright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that'll wrap it up for the week. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. You're a shooting star, I see. A vision of ecstasy. When you hold me, I'm alive. We're like diamonds in the sky. It's, I turned it off the whole way, but it's still clanging around like a dick. <laughs>